WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and on the web at WERU.org, presenting diverse music and alternative public affairs. Support for WERU comes from Village Soup and the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services. On newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. The time is 4 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns has aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, like singer-songwriter Greg Brown, when spring winds blow our lists away, many of us in Maine look forward to casting our little fly into lovely rivers. And lucky for us, there's a new chapter of Trout Unlimited helping to make sure that brook trout have both habitat and cold water that helps them thrive. And we're here today to talk about Trout Unlimited. How do we protect the habitat that trout love and why does it matter? We're so happy to have some folks in the studio who can help us with that topic. Uh, first, Robert Packey is the president of the new chapter, Down East Trout Unlimited. Uh, welcome to you, Bob. Thank you. And um, along with uh, Bob, we have Tammy Packey, who happens to be related. Um, she's the secretary of the uh, Down East chapter. Welcome to you, Tammy. Thank you. Um, we also have uh, Terry Young. Terry is the president of the Georges River Trout Unlimited chapter. Welcome to you, Terry. Thank you for having us. And we're delighted to have in the studio Jeff Reardon. Uh, Jeff is with National Trout Unlimited, um, and he's the main Brook Trout Project director. Perhaps e each of you, maybe starting with Jeff, could just give a little bit of background about yourselves, um, and uh, so listeners will kind of have a sense of who's in the room. Jeff, wh wh how did you get involved in all this? You were talking earlier about uh, going to an early meeting with your dad. Um, did that get you started, um, family it, background? It did. My, uh, my dad got out, of the, uh, got out of the Army in uh, the mid-'70s and went to business school, got a job with what was then Union Mutual in Portland. Uh, I can't remember who they've turned into now. And uh, when I was 11 or 12, one of his coworkers said, hey, maybe you and your son want to come to this Trout Unlimited meeting. So my, uh, my first Sebago TU meeting was, uh, was um, I think, 1980. And uh, I was active till I graduated from high school, left the state to go to college, worked out of state for a few years, came back here in uh, the mid-1990s, and um, uh, had a couple of not particularly very well-paying jobs doing other things for a while. <laughs> and uh, finally, through being a volunteer, uh, TU offered me a job in the late 1990s, and I've been doing it ever since. I think I am now TU's third longest. There are three people, two people who have been here longer than I have. 
but I passed 21 years of work for TU uh, about a year, uh, about, about uh, yeah, 20 years, about a year ago. Great. Well, we'll come back to you in a minute to learn more about both uh, trout and their, their life cycle and habitat, but also some of the work that you've been doing throughout the state. Uh, 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 Terry, give us a little bit of your own background. How did you first get involved in Trout Unlimited? Well, um I grew up in the Windjama business, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. So as soon as I was able to, I moved out west, and that's where I learned how to fly fish. Uh-huh. Eventually moving back here in the early 80s, and when my son was 10 years old, <clears throat> I bought him his first fly rod, and then he decided he wanted to take um, fly tying lessons, so we got involved with that and eventually started with going to Trout Unlimited meetings. And then he went away to college, and if anyone's seen him, let me know. I'd I'd like to talk to him. (laughs) So shortly after that, I decided during the wintertime that it was kind of boring, and I got re-involved. So for the last about 14 years or so, I've been actively involved with the George's River chapter. And, and what's, what's the geography of the George's River group, roughly? Um, well, we all have gray hair. so um, It's been a, a pretty consistent one over the years. We uh, uh, try to stay involved with many items and stuff. Uh, people are, like I said, we need more younger people involved with it, but uh, we're, we're still quite active and involved with a lot of good projects. And the George's River um, area is is the watershed, or is it greater than that? Uh, it's much greater than that. George's River is, is the name. It used to be the Duck Trap chapter, which Jeff was involved with years ago, but we include um, all of Waldo County, um, Knox County. Uh, there are many streams involved in that area, so Great. The lot, lots of things to be involved with. Great. Um, how about you, Bob? How, what, what led you to, to say, I think we need a Downey's chapter? Oh, well, the closest chapter was the George's River chapter, and that was about a two-hour drive for me. So that kind of so just to get to a meeting, it would be two well, hours. Yes, right. it was. It was a two-hour drive just to get to a meeting. Any projects that were going on uh, were happening in that area, which again is a long drive, makes for an extra long day. And I always wanted to have a Trout Unlimited chapter closer. That's an organization that really encourages hands-on activities and projects with its membership, mm. and I wanted to be involved in that. And the down east area of Maine, I thought, was a particularly good area for a down east ch- for a trout unlimited chapter. It's uh, largely rural and pretty wild. Um, it's got a, a lot of cold water lakes and rivers and streams, and it has two of Maine's most iconic fish species, the Atlantic salmon and the brook trout. So it was kind of I felt a, a good spot that needed to have a TU chapter. And in addition to that, we also have um, uh, two lakes that have Arctic char. Mm-hmm. in them, which are uh, rare species of Maine. They're only in Maine in eight lakes, and Maine is the only state in the lower 48 that has Arctic char. Mm-hmm. So and what's the one. geography of what you call the Down East chapter? Uh, basically, east of the Penobscot River to the Canadian border, and then north uh, to the Bangor area, um, and actually, I think, extending a little farther north above Route 9 also. Uh, the uh, Down East chapter incorporates Washington and Hancock counties, um, a little bit into Penobscot County and a slight bit of the southern Aroostook counties. So it's a large territory. And how did you get involved, Tammy, besides being um, <laughs> related to Bob in, in, a, in a good way? Um, well, uh, as you're aware, I'm a, an alum from the College of the Atlantic, and uh, my studies there focused on uh, fisheries management, uh, in particularly 
I did a large project um, on the herring fishery. And um, so I'm interested in policy and protection and conservation. And uh, uh, so it was a natural kind of progression for me to become involved in Trout Unlimited. We'll come back to both of you to talk, learn more about some of the uh, wonderful um, programs that you've been offering in the in the area. But let's let's get some background from Jeff on the on the status of the brook trout in in Maine. Um, why why are we paying such great close attention to brook trout in Maine? Well, I, ironically, one of the reasons where we need to pay so much attention is because we're the last place left where we don't need to. Mm. Um, back in 2006, uh, there was a group, all the states from Maine to Georgia, west to Ohio, uh, all the state and fish, federal fisheries agencies who manage brook trout in that region uh, did a survey called the Eastern Brook Trout Joint Venture, and they said, what's the status and what are the threats to brook trout? And what they found was that if you, uh, by their definition, if you looked at intact populations, Maine had twice as many intact brook trout populations as the other 17 states combined. Mm. Uh, and we had almost all of the lake and pond populations. We had almost all of the populations that still use large rivers, which they used to do throughout their range. And we have most of the populations that use saltwater, these coaster or salter brook trout that um, in particular are down east chapters and a great place to focus on in the George River chapter too. Mm. So it's really special and, and a large part of that is because um, we all kind of got forgotten up here while the rest of New England got developed. And so as somebody who grew up in Maine uh, and then lived in New Jersey and Michigan and came back to Maine as soon as I could get here, uh, Maine looks different than the rest of the East. And that means that our fisheries are, you know, more like the quality of fisheries you see out in the Rocky Mountains or, you know, Maine is to brook trout what Alaska is to Pacific salmon. Mm. It's, it's the last stronghold. Mm. And, and that's, as you say, it's, it's the way Maine has developed or not developed um, that allows us to have that healthy population. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, just think about the what they call the unorganized townships. We've got 17 million acres of forest in Maine, in towns that aren't big enough to have a town government. Mm. I mean, that's a huge expanse. That you know, it looks like what the national forests look like out west, except out here, it's all privately held land, which is offers some challenges. My friend Kathy Johnson at a talk at College of Atlantic a couple of weeks ago said that the North Maine woods is the largest unfragmented temperate forest in the world. So there's a connection between good habitat and this larger ecosystem. And, it, and, and we're not just unique in the U.S. Uh, a great thing, get on, get on your computer and Google the Earth at Night. There's all kinds of different websites out there. And look, there's one dark spot on the East Coast, including southern Canada, and it's northern Maine. Mm. There's a little dark spot in the Adirondacks. There's a little dark spot in the Everglades. There's a great big one in the northern third of Maine. Great. So what's the life cycle of a, of a brook trout? Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the salters as well to, to bring that saltwater aspect into it. But um, what's the typical kind of um, year look like for a brook trout? Well, so uh, uh, brook trout spawn, and we'll start where they spawn. Mm. Um, they spawn in the fall. Um, anytime from late October to in some of our bigger lakes. We're now finding fish spawning right into December. That's the new discovery just in the last couple of years in Moosehead Lake. Um, they'll lay eggs in gravel. They need to do that in cold water, uh, and typically they need either moving water or an upwelling spring. So either in a brook, uh, at the mouth of a brook in a lake, uh, they'll, if they're in a, on the shoreline, they'll spawn on an upwelling spring, but there's gotta be moving water to keep the eggs oxygenated through the winter. Uh, the fry will emerge, sort of depends on water temperatures, um, but sometime in April, May, June, depending on what part of the state you're in and what the winter water temperatures are, 
Um, what t- kind of size are we talking about for a fry? Oh, fry would, uh, when they first emerge, the size of your thumbnail. I mean, yeah. as long as your thumbnail and a lot skinnier. Right. Um, and they'll grow, and this, this can vary a lot. A one-year-old trout in Maine in some habitats might be 12 inches long, and a four-year-old sexually mature trout in another watershed might be four inches long. Right. It really depends on what they're growing in, how much food there is, how much competition, what other fish, what they're feeding on. Um, so they're, they're, really, um, they're really plastic. They can use all kinds of habitats in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, you can see mature, uh, you know, four or five-year-old brook trout in some waters in Maine might be five, six pounds. Somebody caught one seven pounds out of Moosehead Lake this, this winter. Yeah. Um, and you can see other places where a fish the same age might weigh three or four ounces. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're food for other fish at that stage. Um, hopefully some of them are going to grow up to be. Yep, they don't, sur- they, they don't survive. Um, you know, they're li- high, like all fish, it's, you know, they're uh, uh, relative. It broke out of fewer eggs than a lot of other fish species do, but still it's hundreds of eggs per female. So, you know, one, one female, she's probably being fertilized by a couple of different males, uh, probably one big one who's been tending her and a couple of little ones sneaking in on, the, on what they call the red, where they dig, where they dig and lay the eggs. Um, and uh, if they're lucky, maybe two of their offspring will survive to the next generation. So mm-hmm. most of them are going to die. Um, they don't live very long. Uh, again, uh, we've generally thought that uh, Maine had very few brook trout as old as five. Um, this uh, population that they're studying in Moosehead Lake right now has some individuals as old as six, seven, eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. So there's something different going on up there. Um, we don't know what that is, but but it's it's the people were surprised to see anything as old as six years old. So mm-hmm. that tells you they they don't live very long, um, and um, uh, in a lot of studies, uh, getting born is pretty is pretty. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of fish die right after coming out of the nest. An awful lot of brook trout die right after spawning too. Spawning mortality can be 30, 40, 50 percent. So the fish gets to sexual maturity at about two years old spawns once, and that might be it for it. After that, very few of them are surviving to spawn a second time. And, and what's causing that mortality what, after, after Probably spawning? just the stress of spawning. Okay. And keep in mind that in many cases, um, you know, we tend to think of the brook trout staying in the same place all the time, but we have lots of studies of these fish moving long distances. Uh, we've got fish on the Kennebec River that will migrate 20 miles from where they spend the winter to where they spawn to where they spend the summer when the water gets too warm for them, where they'd like to be, mm. where the food is. Mm. So um, habitat is what creates um, the good conditions. Um, and my understanding of rudimentary, um, cold water and oxygen. Is that cold the- water, oxygen, gravel to spawn in. Okay. okay. That's, that's kind of, that's it. Uh, and other than that, they'll live in lakes, they'll live in ponds, they'll live in beaver flowages, they'll live in bogs, they'll live in tiny little streams. They're up to about elevation 2,800 feet, I think, is the highest pond in Maine with brook trout in it. And we've got them right down into tiny little streams that trickle into the ocean and only run half a mile. And the salt water, um, the, the salters, so-called? Yeah, they, don't, they, they can't spawn in salt water. They have to spawn in fresh water. But we have a lot of populations and coastal streams that move in and out, especially streams that are connected to rich salt marshes. Salt marshes are a good place to be in the winter. It's warmer than fresh water. There's more food there in fresh water. We don't know a lot about their movements, but what we do suggest after they spawn, they drop down into the salt marsh and they'll spend the winter there, and they get a big advantage because there's more food, so those fish in some populations grow quite a bit bigger. Mm-hmm. So uh, brook trout are managed by the state, or the fishing um, is managed by the state. What's the relationship between fishing and, and the, the overall health of the fishery? 
Well, from from Crowd Unlimited's perspective, I want a long staying. We, we've been around since 1959 as an organization. And I think within the first year of the organization, somebody came up with, if we take care of the fish, the fishing will take care of itself. So as an organization, our job is really taking care of the fish. Um, you know, there's lots, lots of brook trout in Maine come out of hatcheries, uh, but fewer than in other states. And we're really focused on the wild brook trout resources. And um, in, in large parts, a lot, of, a lot of what TU does in other places is reintroducing fish, recovering habitat so it will support fish again. Here, we spend a lot more of our time trying to make sure it doesn't get screwed up, which is a whole lot cheaper and easier, mm. um, although it's, you got to be ever vigilant. Right. So um, as you think about Trout Unlimited chapters, um, Terry, uh, perhaps starting with you, what are the, some of the projects that your group has, has undertaken to do some of the work that Jeff is talking about? What are, what are some examples of that? Well, one project that was done 20 years ago was a dam removal on Sennebeck Pond in Union. Um, Jeff was involved with that. It was before I got involved with it, and that opened up, uh, I think, 17 miles of, of waterways and a number of ponds to, you know, well, Atlantic salmon if they were there. Alewives, alewives have returned in great numbers to there. Um, we've done uh, two restoration projects or removal of old bridges and putting arch culverts. Presently, we're working on a dam in, on in Sears Mount. Quantabaycook, which has a seasonal fish passage problem. The fish, the allies can get in in the spring. It's not a problem, and the adults usually can get out, but the juvenile uh, gets stuck because of lower water levels. We've had, well, last summer wasn't too bad, but the previous two summers were very dry, and the water level dropped below the spillway. So we're working with um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife and Department of Marine Resources and trying to correct the problem there. It's not a, a major problem, but it's still a problem. So mm -hmm. uh, that's the ongoing one right now. So and what I hear you saying <clears throat> is that um, making the connection between um, you know the lower part of a watershed and the upper part of the watershed is important both for trout, but for everything else that moves up and down. Correct. You know the, these these trout uh, juvenile that Jeff was talking about move into the headwater streams. You know during their early lives, and they need you know access into these places. And if you have a culvert, even though it's a small culvert, you'll, you'll find fish below them. Mm -hmm. I had uh, a logger work on my property a number of years ago. And there was a seasonal brook there. And he said, you know, there's fish up in there? And I said, no way. So I went up and looked, and unfortunately it dried up, and those fish died. But, you know, it's amazing where you find these fish. Right. So coming back to you, Jeff, um, Maine developed um, relatively slowly um, as to other states. But we use water power as the, as the main source for industry in the 1700s, 1800s. Um, so a lot of dams. Um, what's the status of, 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 of dams in Maine at this point? We use them for hydroelectric power, but probably not a lot else. So, or uh, they're used for recreational purposes. People like um, to, to have water in front of their house instead of a, a, a mud hole. So th there's lots of things going on. What's, what, what's happening there? Yes, well, so Maine, I, 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 somewhere, I, somewhere on a piece of paper in my office, I have the number of dams in Maine written down. Mm. Um, it's a few less than it was when I started working for Trout Unlimited 20 years ago, but not very many less. I think we've been involved in, oh, probably 12 or 15 dam removals at various sizes, you know, ranging from 
Um, Senebeck, I'd say the the project Terry talked about, we did with the George River chapter, is sort of a medium-sized project. Some of our chapters, without any staff help, have taken on some smaller dams, like in the Crooked River for landlocked salmon coming up out of Sebago Lake. And then I was involved a little bit with the Edwards removal on the Kennebec, which was the first major dam removal in the country, um, and spent about five years basically on loan to the Penobscot River Project and worked on the removal of VZ and Great Works. Um, I would say um, the, the, the footprint of dams on the landscape is, you know, it's heavier here than just about anywhere else. Um, the good news is that our brook trout um, largely are adaptable enough that even isolated by those dams, they've persisted in a lot of different kinds of habitats. Uh, it's had much more of an impact on sea run fish like Atlantic salmon, sturgeon, um, alewives, and shad. And we came pretty close to losing our salmon, alewife, and shad populations altogether um, from dams, and we're just starting to recorrect that. So I think the, the, difference, the difference in things I work on is that with, with salmon and alewives and shad, it's been about trying to bring them back. With brook trout, it's about we've still got them. Let's not lose them because we know how hard it is to bring them back once they're gone. So in addition to, to uh, dams, culverts are an issue. Maine is a heavily forested state. We harvest that timber. Um, we have roads going across brooks. Uh, tell me the situation with culverts, uh, Jeff, in general. If you look, uh, if the most of the culverts in Maine have been classified by various people who surveyed them as whether they're barriers to fish or not. They do other things too, but just focusing on the fish barriers – about two-thirds of them are either complete or partial blockages. And a partial blockage would be something that might be passable under some conditions, but not all. So not passable in the summer because it's too shallow when the water's low. Not passable in the spring because it's a fire hose and the fish can't swim through it. Um, Maine's probably ahead of most other states, both in having most of our culverts surveyed and starting to work on them. But it's a huge job. There are tens of thousands of cul- I mean, two-thirds of every culvert in the state, and that's everything from the one at the end of your driveway to the ones that state highways are running over to all the ones on logging roads. Roughly two-thirds of them need fixing, and that's a project for decades. Mm. So I'm just going to re- remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about Trout Unlimited and how we protect the habitat that trout love and why does it matter. In the studio with us, we've just heard from Jeff Reardon, who is the National Trout Unlimited uh, uh, representative, um, the main brook trout project leader. Um, you're about, I think, to hear from Terry Young. Terry is the president of the Georges River uh, Trout Unlimited chapter, and we also have Robert Packey and Tammy Packer, Pat Packey from the new Down East uh, Trout Unlimited chapter. Terry? Uh, just to follow up on what Jeff said, there's uh, a great website, Maine Habitat Viewer, and I'm not sure who's, who does that, but you can go to pretty much any road crossing in the state and it will show you whether it's been surveyed, what the condition is, and nine times out of ten, there are also pictures of it. So if you find a, a culvert that's not quite right, you can look at it on the main Habitat Viewer and, and bring it to the attention of someone like Trout Unlimited, and hopefully we can correct the problem. So the other habitat thing um, has to do with how much shade is over a, a brook or a river to keep that water from getting too, too warm. So that's another kind of land use issue. Um, how do you work with landowners around that issue? Well, brook trout are, I mean, we have to say brook trout are a forest creature. Sorry, brook trout are a forest animal. Uh, they live in the water, but the only really in water that, that, that is forested. Um, again, because Maine is so forested, Compared to other states, I think I think we're the most forested state in the country. We might go back and forth with New Hampshire for that honor. Um, we're again we're in better shape than most places. Our timber harvesting regulations are fairly good. They're not great, 
There's some things I'd tweak, but we're fairly protective of riparian standards on bigger streams. We could give more protection to headwater streams. Um, we've done a lot of work on land conservation, um, some of it explicitly for brook trout. Uh, I worked for a couple of years on a, a really a, an 8,000-acre parcel to protect the whole watershed um, of, um, of Cold Stream, which is a major tributary mm-hmm. to the Kennebec, just for its brook trout habitat. That was the highest-ranking project in the country that year for a forest legacy program from the U.S. Forest Service. So um, other people think our brook trout are special, too. Uh, but just things like the creation of Baxter State Park, um, the Debskinegs Wilderness Area that the Nature Conservancy protected. I mean, there are some some of the state's finest brook trout resources were protected in those almost by accident. People protected that land for other reasons, and the brook trout went along for the ride. Mm. So lots of different, uh, I guess, uh, ways in which strategies in which um, folks can get involved um, to protect that habitat and therefore protect um, the brook trout themselves. We've got uh, Mac McGinley on the line. Uh, Mac is the Trout Unlimited State Council President. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Mac. Thank you. I'm glad to have you with us. Um, Perhaps you could give us a a sense of of how Trout Unlimited is doing statewide um, from your your position. Um, Tell us a little bit, give us the profile of Trout Unlimited as a um, statewide organization. Well, as you know, we've just uh, stood up uh, our newest chapter, a Down East chapter. So there are six active chapters in Maine now with slightly over 2,000 members statewide. Um, we're doing quite well. We have some challenges associated with the state, and Rob mentioned one of them, and that is uh, several of our chapters cover very large uh, geographical areas with very low population densities, so our membership is spread out, and that creates a challenge for us. But overall, we're doing very well. Having folks like Jeff and and some of the old-time members like Terry actively involved in so many aspects of uh, protecting our great resource, the the native trout here in Maine, has uh, accomplished a lot over the last 20 years that we've been active here in Maine. And and what what did it take um, from your perspective to get a new chapter started? Um, I assume uh, Rob and and Tammy kind of said, uh, we're ready to go. What did you lead them through? I didn't, as oh, you a matter didn't. of okay. fact. Okay. No, Ter- Terry Young was the gentleman who did most of that work. Uh, Terry and Rob and, his, and their, and their uh, groups. Um, it, it takes enthusiasm. Somebody with enthusiasm and energy uh, and passion for our great resource, the native brook trout, and a willingness to go do the hard work and uh, heavy lifting and uh, get the administrative uh, uh, eyes dotted and T's crossed and make things happen. And that's exactly what Terry and Rob and their groups have done. Terry, why don't we bring you in? What what uh, intrigued you about this new uh, chapter? Uh, I became president of the George's River chapter three years ago. And over the previous years, a number of people would show up from Sedgwick area. Some bar, people from uh, Bar Harbor would show up and they'd say, well, gee, we wish we had a chapter. It's a long ways to go. So that became one of my priorities when I became chapter president. And we started, Tammy had the date on when we had our first meeting here in Ellsworth. And there was a great turnout. Uh, We had Mary Gallagher show up from IFNW and we expanded. And uh, they've done a great job. They they really took the bull by the horns and, and done a great job with this. 
Great. Well, why don't we hear some of that story, um, the, the, the notion of getting things started, and then how have you begun to, to get people to come to a meeting? What's, what's the way you'd, you do that? Right? Well, that, <clears throat> a lot of that is largely Tammy. She's the secretary, and she's been really active uh, getting the word out. Um, <clears throat> we have, uh, we're using Facebook at the t- for the time being until we can have, get a web page established, and she's done a really good job of getting the message out. Um, <clears throat> we've been really active in promoting a diverse group of speakers. We have a speaker at each meeting, and I think that's done a lot to attract uh, attention locally and, and get interest in local people. So you meet monthly? We meet monthly. We meet um, the third Wednesday of the month, October through May. May will be our last meeting for the season because it's good fishing, fishing right. after that, and we all want to be out doing that. Um, but I just want to say two things. We would not have a chapter if it wasn't for Terry. I mean, he he put in a lot of effort to uh-huh. get it started. And also, neither Rob nor myself attended the first meeting that they had in Ellsworth. In fact, we didn't even see any promotion about it. So uh, one of my goals, uh, I've been trying to really get the word out and make people aware that, um, that we do exist. And so I use... Um, press releases. I use uh, great public stations like WERU and MPBN and put it on the calendar. Um, I have a large, vast email list, and I have contacted oh, numerous nonprofit organizations from the Down East Fisheries um, Partnership and Maine Coast Heritage Trust and Down East Audubon. And, and so what, are, what are some of your speakers? What, what have you done for speakers? Well, the last speaker we had was a federal fish and wildlife biologist, Scott Craig. He sp- spoke to us about a project he's involved with on the Narraguegas River. That river was altered quite drastically during the logging days. That was a river used for long log driving. So a lot of the structure over the years when they were doing that, uh, they removed the structure from the river. So it's structure. not... When you say structure. Structure as in large boulders. Um, they that, wanted the water to go fast and the r- right. logs to go fast. They also changed the route of the or the course of the river by um, taking out bends, making the river straighter, and so that's a project that they're working on that we actually hope to get involved with ourselves as a, in a hands-on way. So um, that's reintroducing some of the lodge um, boulders and logs that yep, might. Yep. And why why would we do that, Jeff? Why would we want to reintroduce those kinds of things? Well, as an angler. I will tell you that one of the first things my dad taught me was, you see that chunk of wood over there? There's probably a trout underneath it. Uh-huh. And that's true if you're in a lake, a pond, if you're a bass fisherman, a trout fisherman, wood is good. Right. Um, ecologically, uh, that wood is a surface that things grow on. It supports insects that the fish are feeding on. It's overhead cover. It slows down the water during periods of high flow so they can get out of that heavy current. It provides shade during periods of low flow, so it might be a half degree colder, and that might be enough to make a difference. Um, it uh, changes the way the river functions. So if the water, you know, if the if the river is wide and straight and there's nothing in it but gravel, it sort of looks like a ditch, and that's not good fish habitat. <laughs> if it's got big boulders and big logs, it's diverse. Some currents are faster, some are slower. It digs deeper spots. It gives shallower spots for fish to spawn in. It's all about habitat diversity. Mac uh, McGinley, uh, back from your perspective. Um, uh, is this fairly typical of a chapter? What what else are some of the chapters doing besides having speakers and gathering people together and taking on projects? What, what other kinds of projects have you seen uh, taken up by chapters in Maine? Well, all of our chapters have, have had their own successes and accomplishments uh, from st- stream habitat restoration projects 
to stream connectivity projects, uh, as Terry mentioned, such as replacing undersized and hung culverts, installing bridges in place of culverts, and removing dams to improve the connectivity for all the, the critters that uh, inhabit that stream, uh, to assisting our Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife in surveying remote ponds to locate populations of wild brook trout and Arctic char, um, surveying coastal streams to locate populations of sea-run brook trout, as also mentioned by Terry, uh, to working with partner agencies and, a and organizations to repopulate streams with Atlantic salmon and to conserve tracks, tracks of critical brook trout habitat, such as the Coal Stream Project that Jeff mentioned, uh, and also providing funding to projects by our partner organizations which support our mission and of course youth education projects. So all of our chapters are busy with projects that help protect our wild native cold water fish species and recruit the next generation of conservationists and environmentalists. It sounds like you've you've got that down, Mac. <laughs> That's great. Um, That's how, one what, of my jobs. <laughs> what's what's the structure? Um, you know, what's the relationship between the state and the and the chapter? Um, is there a particular uh, relationship? And how does funding work? And and all of that sort of stuff. Some of the nitty gritty. Okay. Well, um, the state council is in place to do two things: to communicate from TU National to the staff to the chapters and to assist the chapters. Um, much of our effort at the council level involves resource conservation and protection advocacy. Jeff spends a great deal of time, as do I and several other members, uh, testifying at hearings, building coalitions of like-minded agencies and organizations, and meeting with legislators and key DIFW personnel to help influence rulemaking and legislation which affect our natural resources here in the state. Um, each chapter is independently funded. Um, the, the council is also independently funded. Each chapter has its own fundraising efforts and events during the year. Um, the council does provide some funding to help with specific projects uh, that the chapters have going on if there if there's a need. Um, but it's all the funding is all independent. Um, I guess did that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. And and as, as you look at the the state and and uh, the, the the work of the chapters, what's most exciting to you as you look ahead? Oh uh, well, several things. The immediate future for the council is that we're focused on planning and coordinating the Trout Unlimited's national meeting, which will be held in Bangor this August. Uh, we'll host between two and three hundred. Trout Unlimited members and senior staff from around the country at this five-day event, which will include a fishing day, a conservation tour, which will focus on the successes we've seen in restoring the Penobscot River, uh, coordinating present, pres presentations and exhibitors, as well as hospitality and fundraising events. So there's much to accomplish between now and then. That sounds like a Longer great... Go, go ahead. And so these folks are coming... Uh, coming from all over the country um, to Maine. It's a, it's a national kind of uh, event. That's correct. It, it's called the National Business Meeting, but in, event, in effect, it's a uh, convention. And uh, there are state representatives uh, from each state uh, that make up the National Leadership Council. And then there are the Board of Trustees and the national staff, most of whom are stationed or in the Washington, D.C. area. And a lot of those folks, like I said, between two and 300 of them will be here 
um, in August in Bangor. Great. And kind it, of a longer term, uh, our, it's our goal to become a, become a more effective partner with the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife uh, in protecting our priceless natural resources. As Jeff mentioned, Maine is the last stronghold in the U.S. for what is truly a national treasure, and that's our wild native brook trout. Another of the goals of the state council and chapters is to do all we can to work with the department and our non-government agency partners to protect the special resource of our brook trout and its habitat now in order to mitigate the effects of climate change and so that in 50 to 100 years we're not attempting to restore them at a much higher cost as they are doing out west uh, for the Pacific steelhead uh, trout and uh, Pacific salmon, and also here in Maine with the Atlantic salmon. Uh, whatever, whatever dollars and energy we spend today to protect the habitat, to protect the climate change, to protect the brook trout, means we won't be spending 10 times that money in the future to try to restore them. As an example, uh, trying to restore the steelhead and Pacific salmon to the Snake and Columbia River Basin in Washington and Idaho, there have been 17 billion, that's with a B, dollars spent over the last 20 years trying to restore that fishery. Hmm. Oh, Mac, you're doing great work. Thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns, representing um, the state council. Mac McGinley there. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. So um, just a reminder that you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. It's your turn now. Uh, give us a call at uh, 469-0500. I know that you're out there listening. Some of you, uh, uh, like Greg Brown, are waiting for the, for the trout season to open to get into those little streams. Um, but you may have questions for our guests who include uh, Rob uh, Packy and Tammy Packy from the Down East um, Trout Unlimited Chapter, Terry Young, who's president president of the George's River Trout Unlimited Chapter, and Jeff Reardon um, of the he's the main trout project leader for National Trout Unlimited. Give us a call four six nine zero five zero zero. So as as we've we've heard lots of different ways to to get involved. Um, as you've talked to some of the new members that you've got in the Down East chapter, what uh, what do you suppose inspires them? What what intrigues them about coming to meetings and then perhaps getting involved? Um, and Rob, first. well, I think there's um, a, a lot of members of Trout Unlimited have a lot of uh, excitement about being involved. Like I said, it, it's a hands-on um, organization where they encourage the chapters to take on projects. Um, a lot of our members, as it so happens, are really excited about teaching, mm -hmm. and that's another one of the um, aspects of Trout Unlimited. They focus on educating both adults and kids and doing outreach programs to, to educate people about the uh, situations um, locally in, um, with cold water fish species. So that's something that we are actively doing. We are, uh, we are um, finalizing plans for a, uh, an eight-hour basic fishing class for adults uh, it's going to be May 2nd, Saturday, May 2nd. And that's something that a number of members are involved with. So, so it sounds like people are, are glad to be living here. They're glad to be experiencing the environment that, they're, you know, that we have, and they want to encourage others to, to, to do the same. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, especially people who fish because um, they, they're on the streams a lot and in the ponds a lot fishing, realize the value and the, um, 
the value of the brook trout in Maine and the um, the real importance of that resource. And, and they want to figure out how to protect it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. We do have a phone call. Um, that person has called um, 469-0500. Welcome, David, to Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Thanks a lot for the show. I, I'm uh, especially interested by the uh, the aspect of replacing culverts with uh, bridges uh, here in Brooklyn where we have quite a few students that probably could be populated by airwives. I don't know about trout. Uh, probably trout, too. Uh, uh, so it's, it's a very interesting program. I, I remember when uh, you were talking about the uh, uh, the condition of the Penobscot River and how the uh, cleaning up of the river had really uh, been very helpful to your your project. Uh, I, I wanted to ask uh, whether you had had any success in making alliance with the Penobscot Nation in uh, doing that work on the river. I know they've also been uh, very conscientious uh, uh, caretakers of the, the, the health of the river. And I just was wondering whether you'd been able to partner with them at all in any of your uh, ventures. Thanks for your question, David. We'll see if Jeff Reardon has a has a response. Yes, yeah, so I, I um, have been working with the Penobscots uh, since before I started working with TU. I started doing it when I was a volunteer. Um, and what we were then focused on was the federal relicensing of all the dams on the Penobscot River, which uh, started in the 1980s and got wrapped up in the late 1990s in a way that nobody was very happy with. And uh, starting about 1999 a group that included, at first, the Penobscot Nation, um, the Atlantic Salmon Federation, and the Natural Resources Council of Maine, uh, and then later included Trout Unlimited. I'm trying to remember who else we added. The Nature Conservancy, Maine Audubon. I may be missing one or two partners. Um, worked for about a decade to um, strike a deal with um, the owner of all the dams on the Penobscot that two of their dams would get removed which happened in 2012 and 15, if I'm remembering correctly. Both were two-year projects. I think those were the years they were done. And then we built a bypass channel around um, the Howland Dam, which is at the mouth of the Piscataquis. Um, we've also done a little bit of work um, with the Holton Band of Maliseets and would like to be doing more. There's some tremendous brook trout water up there in eastern Aristic County. Um, and a little bit of work with the Passamaquoddies on fish passage and alewife restoration issues on the St. Croix. So um, probably not as much as we should have done, but as partners go, I think that the Penobscots are probably one of our longest standing partners here in Maine. Mm, great, great question. Uh, 469-0500, please give us a call. Participate in this conversation about Trout Unlimited, but more importantly, how do we protect the habitat that trout love and, and why does that matter? Um, so uh, Tammy and, and Rob, you've described um, some of the, the educational activities and, and you're, you're seeing volunteers pop up as well. Um, the, uh, you've got an educational program going on, you said, to teach people how to fish. What will that consist of? Well, that's going to consist, basically, we're calling it Fly Fishing 101. So um, a lot of people who have, haven't fly fished before find it kind of intimidating to get into the sport. So we're going to have a group of instructors that will focus on each aspect of, of, the, of the sport, from casting, the tying knots, the equipment, uh, flies, um, and maybe a little bit of uh, reading the water, which means, you know, locating how to locate trout in moving water 
uh, where they may be. So it's going to be just a basic class. This one is going to be for adults, and um, it'll c- kind of cover the basics of the whole sport. Now, do I imagine that um, the earlier days of uh, Trout Unlimited probably were experienced fishermen? Um, a lot of the people involved in 1959 and going forward. So have you, in, in your chapter, uh, Terry, uh, done basic fly fishing as a, as a project before? Um, you, there's been a number of trips organized, uh, you know, going up north in places like that. Uh, we try to get, you know, the youth involved. That's, that's the biggest, I think, the biggest issue with right. Trout Unlimited is trying to get the youth involved. Um, my son was very active when he was here, and... Unfortunately, like I said, he's gone sure, away. So, sure. but uh, it's trying to get them, you know, involved. And there are a number of youth. Um, Trout Unlimited uh, State has run a trout camp for a number of years. Um, that's that's on hold at this time, but that's a great opportunity for for young people to go and learn all, everything. I think it's a six day event held up in Solon. Um, we need to have more active people in that. Mm. So, and that's a, a big effort. And fly tying, um, do you teach fly tying as well? Or I've certainly seen more signs that uh, folks are reviving or recreating some of that that art. Yes, there's a, a number of people in our area that that get together and do that. Personally, I. I lost all my fly tying equipment when my son left um, <laughs> once again. Um, so I haven't tied in years. But there are a number of people, and we have one one member that comes to our meeting monthly, and he dropped off. I think there were 15 flies for our raffle at this last meeting. So, And it, it's an artwork, too, and people certainly spend a lot of time and enjoy doing it. So um, those of you who are, are um, advocates of fly fishing, What's in a fly? What, what what are we trying to do with when we create a fly? Jeff? Or I Tammy? Or well, Rob? Yeah, Rob? well, basically, you're imitating a food, uh, some type of food. Right. Um, so some of the, uh, some flies imitate juvenile insects, which is a major part of a trout's diet there uh, under the surface. Some flies imitate an adult, species, uh, adult form of, the, of, a, of a fly or an insect. Um, they float on the surface, and then a lot of flies imitate uh, small fish, bait fish, which are important, especially for bigger trout for food. So you're tying flies. Some of them uh, just try to trigger a response. They might have bright colors in them. They don't actually imitate a, a specific species of fish or insect. Other ones are very specific and mimic an insect very closely. Great. We have a phone call um, from Jackson, Maine. Um, welcome to you, David. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, well, I get two things. First of all, thanks for the good work. And second of all, I live in Waldo County, and we've got a lot of work to do over here. Uh, the Marsh Stream, for example, is about 80 square miles of good habitat. There's one dam on 1A owned by the town of Frankfurt, and there's no accommodation there for fish passage. And so what, what would you suggest? How, how might you, that um, area get involved and, and approach the town of Frankfort? Well, Nature Conservancy has been working with them for a couple of years and they're not making any progress that I can see. <laughs> so, so is that because people don't want to spend money or they're opposed to it? Or what, what do you suppose is the resistance? 
I'd say the answer lies with the selectmen. Okay. Which have a cumulative age of 930. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't hold that against them. Um, some of us have pretty white hair in this room, too. But uh, well, Me, too. <laughs> but, it, but it sounds like what you're looking for we is... We haven't got much time to get this stuff done. That's right. So it sounds like what you're saying is that people need to get involved who care about habitat and ha- care about the fish. And it's not going to cost them any money. They, uh, all kinds of agencies have made that clear. Okay. Good. Well, David, thanks so much for your call um, this this afternoon. 469-0500. Give us a call as we talk about um, how we protect habitat for trout and why does it matter. In the studio with us are Jeff Reardon, um, main pro- Brook Trout Project Leader from National Trout Unlimited. Uh, Terry Young is president of George's River uh, Trout Unlimited. And we have uh, Rob Packey and Tammy Packey from the Downey's chapter. So, um, uh, can I just pick up on David's question just, yeah, a, just yeah. a little bit? I, I know a little bit about the Frankfurt Dam, but probably not enough to talk about it in detail um, without getting myself or somebody else in trouble. But I think that what, the, what, what I will say is you started off asking about how many dams are there in Maine, and the answer is way too damn many. Yep. Um, and one of the challenges, and that Frankfurt site is a great one, is that although there are lots of people. Uh, the Nature Conservancy, the Atlantic Salmon Federation, the Penobscot Nation, Trout Unlimited, um, who would love to see that dam go on and would help make it happen. Um, a real challenge in these dam removal projects is I'm from away and I'm here to help. Uh-huh. I worked on a dam removal in the town of Cooper's Mills mm-hmm. when I was the first house across the town line in Windsor from <laughs> Cooper's Mills. And when I went to Cooper's Mills, which is a village of Whitefield, the people from you know, it's a, we're a small town. We're a small town state. Sure. And it's a combination. There are resources to do that. But if the dam owner doesn't want to do it, there really aren't very many tools to make them do it. And the truth is, a lot of us independent Mainers might not like some of those tools if they were given to people who do things we didn't like. Right. So, uh, but, lo- so- local leadership is just critical. And uh, frankly, if, if you live in town, you can be a lot more effective with your local selectmen than than any of us who don't live there in Frankfurt can be. Right, so I, that's what I think y- you can bring to it is if you're interested in the town of Frankfurt, this is how you might go about it if you live there um, and, and help that that effort, right, that, yeah. rather than coming in. You can, you can lead the horse to water, but you, you can't make it. The same thing is true with these culvert projects. There's lots of money out there for working on culverts. DEP has a fund. They put out funds every few years. Um, if your town has a culvert you want fixed and it's a fisheries resource, chances are somebody will help you apply for one of those grants and get a uh, what's a road problem for the town and a fish problem for us fixed great it's a win-win great so what else are you guys working on what 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 would you like to see you said terry getting young people involved or are there particular ways that that uh, you think would work to do that boy that's been a tough one and i i personally have not tried to push that because i don't know how to do that okay. you know yeah. we you know we talk about it pretty much every state council meeting um how do we get the youth involved you know, you need somebody in the school systems that knows how to, knows the students, can start programs like that. Uh, and I suppose working with groups like Tanglewood or, or, or others so that their people already get young people together, you need to see how they can get out on, on a brook trout stream. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a matter of finding that particular volunteer to get out and do something like that. So, right. 
it's it's always it's a it's a subject that comes up pretty much every meeting. You know, mm-hmm. how do we get more youth involved? And what's what's your average age that's, who are attending your meetings in the Down East chapter, Tammy? We've actually been very fortunate. We have a quite a diverse group that is coming to our meetings. Um, and fortunately for us, some of them are school teachers. Um, one of our regular regular attendees is a uh, she teaches like first grade, I believe. And we have another guy who comes from Ellsworth High School and someone else who has taught um, the Trout in the Classroom, which is a specialty U program in the past. And so they are actually helping us to try to figure out how to get our act together to do some educational programming because that is a priority for our chapter. And um, so we're working on that. We haven't besides this life. Right. Right. So the the idea that um, there are maybe groups like uh, Tanglewood or a school that have kids and they're looking for science that makes sense and helps people get excited about learning and trout and brook brook trout and and streams and and mucking around in in mud, uh, those are all good things that kids like, right? Jeff, have you you've seen that sort of um, effort happen over the years? I I have. Um, it's uh, you know kids kids. Mo- the reality is most kids get brought into fishing or anything else that they do through their parents and their friends. Right. Um, and um, you know we hope we hope that happens with our members. They then go away. I mean, Terry. Terry got one recruited for us, but we lost him to, I don't know if it's Montana or Alaska now. He's, he's found greener pastures out west. Um, but they then come back. Uh, I, I, there was a, a, a young kid who, who I worked with. He went to COA. We lost track of him. Um, you know, I took him duck hunting. I took him fishing. I taught him how to tie flies. Um, he's just come back as an active volunteer, having moved back into the Augusta area. So, sure. um, you know, it's a, it's a matter of... Uh, you know, drift the fly over their noses and hope once in a while they rise up and take it. Right, right. Tammy? Uh, one of our board members um, just actually had uh, an article published in Voices from the River, which is oh, that's right. uh, that really a good. TU publication. And uh, he it's a wonderful piece. He actually wrote about taking his granddaughter fishing. And so that is a key, you know, even though a lot of the members are older, they can, you know, bring their children and then their grandchildren out, given that experience. And as you said, mucking about in the mud and splashing in the water is fun for everyone. Sure. My grandson, Jack, caught his first fish at age four and a half on the Allagash last summer, and he was thrilled. Now, the fish was about three inches long, but didn't make any difference to him. It was exciting. So that's how, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. Good. Just, just, just to mention two, uh, two other formal programs. We do have a Trout in the Classroom project, okay. which brings a, a, essentially an aquarium, a chilled aquarium full of trout into the classroom. It, it meshes pretty well with, I think, generally middle school science curriculum. Um, and we also have what we uh, we have college chapters that are known as the Five Rivers, you know, if, if you're a college student, you don't want to come out and hang with all of us 50-year-olds at a TU meeting. So we let them have their own meetings and do their okay. own thing. And if they want some help from us, we'll help. But if they want to do their own thing, it gives them a way to stay involved with the organization between being involved through their parents and being involved as adults post-college. Mm-hmm. So the, the generational, are there other challenges that you're looking at? It sounds like there are uh, pockets of funding to do some of the projects that you've mentioned. What other challenges do you see um, looking ahead? For, for Maine, a real challenge and one that volunteers are much better equipped to deal with than 
um, whether staff, whether it's me or folks who work for the agencies, people know their backyards a whole lot better than somebody who works statewide or region-wide. Um, in Maine, you'll have a region the size of the state of Connecticut that will have two fisheries biologists working in it. Mm. So they're not going to know every inch of stream. And we've been very successful using anglers to identify previously undocumented populations of trout. We did that with remote ponds. There were about 1,000 ponds in Maine that had never been surveyed. Over about five years, we got anglers out to more than 400 of those and found brook trout in close to 100. And I was one of them up on the Allagash. Um, it was an exciting bug-filled uh, trip. A, a number of those ponds have been added to the state heritage fish list, uh, and so it gets some permit protection that way. We're now trying to do the same thing with these coastal populations of trout. A lot of these little dinky streams, they might have a spring and run two miles through town and dump right into the salt along the coast. Um, a lot of those have brook trout in them in some very surprising places in Freeport, in Falmouth, mm. in Bar Harbor, in the areas that are pretty urban. Um, and so um, documenting those, and again, I can call your town, you know, your, your town conservation commission, oh, there's a brook trout in your stream. It means a lot more when their neighbor calls them up, hey, what are you guys doing about zoning in the end of town by Smith Brook? Because, mm. you know, that's got trout in it. If it looks like a ditch, they'll treat it like a ditch. Once you tell them there's trout in it, they'll treat it like a trout stream. And, and that makes a huge difference in the long run about the death of 10,000 cuts, which is what we tend to lose these fisheries to. Mm. So um, as the Downeast chapter uh, continues to, to uh, get organized, um, what other volunteers are you looking for? Um, I suppose um, um, educators, um, Tammy, you're a photographer. Um, any skill that's, that's useful in getting the word out, I suppose, is part of that. Yeah, we're, uh, the, the whole TU group is really open to it. To tra tracking a diverse group of people, and we certainly would like to hear from anybody that's interested in participating. Um, we have a pretty broad group. Our board of directors, I'm real happy with, has a very varied background among the board, and um, and our membership has a, a. As I'm getting to meet people uh, repeatedly at meetings, um, has a very vo broad background. So we're getting starting now to get a lot of input from the members at a members meeting, um, not just from the board of directors on ideas and where to go and, and things like that. And um, uh, Jeff Reardon came and did a presentation a year and a half ago uh, um, on the Salters uh, and inspired my husband and a few other people to go out and do some surveys. Yeah, yeah, I participated. I was fortunate that I've been <clears throat> fishing for salter trout for a long time, but that's one of the things that our chapter is really interested <clears throat> in focusing on our sea run brook trout. Right. And this season, we're actually going to focus on the Blue Hill Peninsula. So uh, any listeners out there that want to cooperate with us, just give me a call. Great. Well, we've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for other topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Please tune in to our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of UMaine Sea Grant, 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Cormac on a Balney House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our uh, guests in the studio from Trout Unlimited, uh, Rob and Tammy Packey from the Downeast chapter, Terry Young from the Georges River chapter, and Jeff Reardon, who's the main Rook Trout Project Coordinator. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters, 
Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for um, Election 2020 special and then the Ralph Nader Radio Hour from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg from 6 to 8. This is Ron Beard, your host and producer for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon. Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine, 